Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. We look into the sexual assault case against five hockey players. Also, a denial from darts. Is Ford Nation worried? Advancing reconciliation. Forge FC is ready and get set to chow down. Enjoy the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. All eyes are going to be on London later on today because the sexual assault case against five former members of Canada's World Junior Hockey Team is going to be before a court in London. Dylan Dubé, Cal Foote, Alex Formenton, Carter Hart, and Michael McLeod charged with sexual assaults last month. And court documents are showing that McLeod is also facing an additional charge of sexual assault for being a party to the offense. Lawyers for the players have said their clients will defend themselves against the allegations they plan to plead not guilty. And these charges, as you probably already know, are related to an incident, uh, an alleged incident at a hotel in London in June of 2018. And later on this afternoon, we're going to hear from London police. They'll give an update on their investigation, which was initially closed without charges months after the incident, but reopened years later in 2022. Also, CHML will bring you today's news conference at London Police Headquarters live starting at 2 p.m. Here to talk about what happens now is Lauren Honickman, an esteemed lawyer and partner with Browdy Thorning LLP and also one of Canada's top legal experts in defamation law. Mr. Honickman, good morning. Welcome to Good Morning Hamilton. Hey, Rick, how are you? I'm Pleasure good. to be here. you got to call me Lauren, of course. Okay, thank you. Uh, what should we expect to happen today? Well, this is... Uh this is the first day or the first appearance for the accused so there's a lot of things that will i'll tell you that won't happen for example unlike what you see on american television the accused will not be in a courtroom entering any pleas today that that doesn't happen this is a first appearance i believe it's it's going to be done through zoom and uh, most times uh, an accused doesn't even have to appear their lawyer or somebody from their lawyer's office will make an appearance at that first appearance they'll file what's called a designation saying that they've been designated to act for that person and what that first appearance is for is to get the process going if you will through the courts and the first part of the entire process is for the defense to get what's called disclosure that's the crown's case what is the crown going to be relying on in order to prove these charges uh, beyond a reasonable doubt and of course there there's such a plethora if i can use that word of of information that's already out there we know about investigations previous investigations etc so there'll be a lot in that disclosure package so that's really the court side of it if you will and then of course rick you talked uh, you set it up and talked about the police holding a news conference and which is going to be interesting in this regard given the history of this i i, I find it hard to believe at this point that the police are going to give us any more details uh, they have to be very careful right now like the number one question of course is well what's different between now and when you investigated back in 2019 and you didn't have reasonable and probable grounds what changed since then and uh, i'm assuming the police aren't going to give much in that way but again we'll have to wait and see that part of the equation will most likely play out in court right well, sure, because one of the things that the police do not want to do, and, and it's understandably so, is jeopardize the prosecution going forward. Uh, we do know from 
court documents as as this case was under the microscope uh, over the last couple of years that uh, the police had issued a search warrant when they reopened their investigation. Part of that warrant that wasn't redacted came out. So there's a lot of sort of information there, but they've got to be very careful as to what they say today because they don't want to do anything that is going to potentially jeopardize the uh, the uh, the prosecution where their their words today could be brought into court and it it's so although of course it's high profile and understandably so uh, this is the Canadian criminal justice system the wheels don't move quickly rick <laughs> so so people who uh who are thinking, well, we're going to finally get this, it's going to go into court, and the accused will have their day. Well, that day could be uh, sometime in 2025 or, or even later, depending on how things go uh, as this case progresses. Got a couple more minutes with Lauren Honickman, esteemed lawyer and partner in Browdy Thorning LLP, one of Canada's top legal experts in defamation law. We're talking about the sexual assault case involving five former members of Canada's World Junior Hockey Team from 2018. The the initial investigation was, as you mentioned, closed without any charges. Is that something that the defense will lean on, depending on what information is uncovered? But is that a tack that the defense might look at? Well, you know, Rick, it's not even, uh, I wouldn't put it into the um, category of tactic, but I put it into the category of extremely relevant. Uh, and, and obviously, what changed? Why did the police, and that, that's the big question, why did the police investigate at one point th these allegations and assuming the allegations um, are the same? And again, we don't know that. Sometimes things change. What changed between then and now? Because remember, Rick, for police to be able to charge someone, they have to have what's called reasonable and probable grounds. So why didn't they allegedly not have it then and now and that's so so it's going to be very very relevant what new info was there new information if so what is it now why wasn't it there then uh did the uh alleged victim provide new information now if so why wasn't that provided at the time now of course i'm i'm making things up as we're going along here only because we don't know i'm using these as examples of how it can be extremely relevant as to what change and, and we know for example there was a uh, some sort of agreement a civil agreement that took place along the way um, what came out from that there were different investigations so all of that is going to be uh, if you can think of it put into the uh, into the pot and all of it is, could be extremely relevant as the case goes forward. We only got about 30 seconds. Is it more likely we're going to have one trial with all five accused or five separate trials? That's uh, a very, very important question. And that's, uh, that's going to be something that we're going to have to wait and see. Each lawyer will look at his or her own case, determine whether or not it's called severance, whether their case should be severed, or whether the Crown is going to try and have them tried completely together because of how the, the facts are. But um, you, you've hit something, one of, one of many different legal issues that's going to be looked at uh, as this case moves forward. Very much so. Lauren, thank you so much for the time this morning. My pleasure. Thanks, Rick. Lauren Honickman is an esteemed lawyer and partner at Browdy Thorning LLP, one of Canada's top legal experts in defamation law. 
You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. It is unfolding right here in Hamilton. It has to do with darts. It has informed a group that helps adults with special needs that it will no longer transport them to their destinations. Cornerstone Special Needs Services says the local paratransit agency has declined to transport its group to its day programs. Why the sudden change? Well, let's find out. Christine Fox is an assistant manager with Cornerstone Special Needs Services and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Christine, good morning. Hey, Rick. How are you? I'm good. How are you today? I'm well. Thank you for having me. What is going on in relation with your day programs and darts? Yeah, so basically... um our, our clients come to our day program on darts um, from various places around the city. And then um, we, we do different outings with them. You know, we, on several times a week, we get them out in the community. We've been doing this since 2016. Um, you know, we do bowling, swimming, um, zoetic theater, the movie theaters, mall outings. And that's what makes us unique at Cornerstone is that we get our participants out and engaged in the community doing a variety of different activities. Um, and, you know, that's essential to these young adults and people with special needs. They need to get into the community engage and engage and, you know, basically have equal opportunity. And what's happened is um, Darts has told us that um, they can no longer provide us with our group bookings. So before, how it would work is we would uh, put an email into Darts, and um, our bookings would be guaranteed. We'd we'd have what's called a subscription. So every single Tuesday, Darts would arrive, and we'd load all of our clients, and we'd all go down to Bernie Morelli, and they'd have an hour of swimming, and then we hop back on Darts, and we they take us back to our to our program. Um, and that was a guarantee. They were on a subscription. They would come every week. Um, and basically what's happened is they've told us that, you know, they can no longer provide us with that service. And have um, they said why they cannot do so? Um, basically that it's not covered, on, that it's not a part of their legislation. It's not a requirement. Um, you know, we take up a lot of their time, a lot of their space. Um, but I'm sure Cornerstones isn't the only one doing this, though. So, to my knowledge, we're one of the only day programs in the city that uses darts for our, for our outings and activities. But absolutely, darts is, is a public transportation for um, several people throughout the city. And, you know, Rick, here's the thing. Like, there's so much taken for granted. You know, you just hop in your car and, and you take your, your kids swimming. Or you just, you know, you have young adults and they hop on a city bus and, and off they go to, to the mall, you know. And that's not, these guys can't do that. They, you know, they can't just get on a bus or, or get in a cab or, you know, it's different for them. We have to do things differently and this is the barrier, right? It's, you know, and people have said to us, why don't you just go, why don't you guys just go buy a bus or... It's not that simple. We have, you know, several clients that need to go to several different locations throughout the week. Um, we, we have three programs that run. Uh, we do all different activities, three different programs doing different activities five days a week. That's a lot. 
How many people access Cornerstones? Oh, several. Like we, in our day program, I'm going to say we have 150 people. Not all of them come on the same days. Like, you know, so for example, up until recently, we were at different locations, but we've just recently, actually today is the first day that we're all in the same location, but we still have different pods. And basically, you know, for example, Ancaster might have 22 people, you know, we're, we're booked to go bowling today, 22 people, um, you know, um, and Sherman, our Sherman location, you know, they're booked tomorrow to go, to go bowling and Thursday we go swimming. But what we have to do now is we're calling the week before. We're booking individually, each person individually over the phone, um, and we're calling them and hoping that they all get on. But what's happening is they're not all getting on. You know, um, for example, I have a, a, a guy that I tried to get on last night. And so now all of my people this morning are going to go bowling and he's not going to get to go and do his activity, you know, and it's just, it's just unacceptable. Like, can you imagine loading half of your people and the others sitting there watching, knowing that they're not going to get their chance to go? Like, it, Christine, when were you informed of this and, and what was your reaction? What was the reaction to those who were looking forward to these day programs? So it was uh, a few weeks ago where it really came to our attention. Um, we started having a hard time booking and things were canceled and we noticed. Um, and, you know, Rick, it, it's basically disheartening. You know, not not only for our clients, for our parents. You know, how do you tell your child that they're not going? You know, but the other guys get to go. It's you're not You're just simply not booked. There's not a spot for you. And you got to remember, these guys have been doing the same activities since some of them for five years, six years, and doing the same, you know, they they know that on, on Thursdays they go bowling, that's just what they do. On Tuesdays they go swimming, that's just what they do. It's pretty They've been doing this for a really long time. Christine, what happens, um, we got about a minute, what happens next? Yeah. Uh, well, we're going to meet with them, and hopefully we're going to make some progress. Hopefully um, we're going to make some head wave and, and come to an agreement. Essentially, we just want them to have equal opportunity. That's what happens next. You know, we, we hope and, and pray that, um, that they hear us and that they understand the importance of these guys getting into the community. Well, we are endeavoring to get a representative from Darts on uh, Good Morning Hamilton tomorrow morning, so hopefully we get uh, some answers. Christine, thank you for your time this morning, and uh, best of luck. We'll certainly have to have you on in a, in a future date to uh, give us an update. Thanks so much, Rick, for having me. Christine Fox is an assistant manager at Cornerstone Special Needs Services. And as I said, we'll uh, hopefully get someone from Darts on tomorrow's show to give their side of the equation and perhaps some of the stressors that they're dealing with uh, on a day-to-day basis. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Could Doug Ford and the Ontario Progressive Conservative Party lose some of their MPPs to the federal conservatives? Well, we saw quite recently Parm Gill, the former minister of red tape production, jump ship. Other cabinet ministers or MPPs have said, eh, you know what, politics is no longer for me. Is this the turn of the tide and the start of the demise, perhaps, of Ford Nation? Peter Grafe is a professor of political science at McMaster University and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Peter. How are you? I'm great, thanks. 
Uh, Mr. Ford gathered with his fellow progressive conservatives in Niagara Falls this weekend for a policy convention. Maybe we'll start there. Any any big takeaways from your perspective? No, not really. I, I mean, in many ways, I think the government is happy. It's uh, won its case at the Supreme Court about uh, releasing mandate letters or not having to do them. But no, otherwise, I, I think it's still pretty much standard fare in terms of this is a government that thinks they can win by uh, really hammering on the theme of, of getting housing to Ontarians. It was a an opportunity for the party to reset after what was a pretty tumultuous uh, six to eight months with the green belts, you know, smack dab in the middle. Do, do you think that was a nice moment for them to gather and, and gather their thoughts and push forward all, uh, you know, carrying the ball? Well, I mean, I think it's a natural part of the political cycle and, and preparing for, uh, you know, the, the session coming up to the budget, making sure that there's a commonality of position within the party and, and a willingness to to support the main themes of the of the budget. But, I mean, it is a government, as you point out, that has been battered by uh, a lot of negative reaction from Ontarians uh, around uh, questions, particularly of the Green Belt. Uh, don't think Ontarians were that happy to have building on it, but then, you know, especially to find uh, some of the uh, insider dealing that seemed to be related to that. So, uh, you know, it, it is a, a government that really does have to find its footing. Uh, since it's been elected, it's really been mired uh, in these Greenbelt scandals and has found it hard to put forward its own the- thematics and priorities. Mentioned uh, Parm Gill. He's the former Minister of Red Tape Production, was uh, one of the latest PC MPPs to announce their uh, departing for potentially greener pastures with uh, Pierre Poiliev and the federal Conservatives. Is there more to come on this front? Uh, there may be. Uh, I mean, certainly uh, Ontario members of provincial parliament are much less well paid than their federal counterparts. You know, so that's one thing that might push people uh, to go. Uh, Doug Ford at various times has met a lot of grumbling within the party with the feeling that his government is being run by a small cadre uh, of people around him, that even many cabinet ministers don't have a lot of say in terms of the, the priorities of that government. Um, so that leads a lot of you know ambitious people to feel that they aren't being listened to and, and feel they might get a better shot if they were to be part of a, a Pierre Polyevre government. So, yeah, it's it's not impossible to see that there would be a, a few more uh, MPPs who may decide uh, to go uh, the federal way. I mean, others as well. We're coming up now to six years that this uh, government has been in power. It will be eight years by the time we're at the next election. So for a number of people, it's either their end of their political career or the moment that if they're going to do something outside of politics, uh, it's a time to make the jump. So, uh, you know, I also wouldn't be surprised to see a number of uh, uh, senior members of that government not re-offer in the next election. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Peter Grave, professor of political science at McMaster University. And we're talking about Ford Nation and, uh, well, some MPPs, at least one, uh, namely Parm Gill, jumping ship to run federally. Are the federal conservatives and the Ontario PCs aligned? Uh, maybe not that much at the moment. Uh, I mean, a number of uh, the senior advisors around Pierre Polyev are people who cut their teeth in the Ontario Conservative Party. Uh, but it's not clear that in terms of the, the positioning of the Ontario government and you know where Pierre Polyev is positioning the federal Conservative Party are exactly in the same space. And it may be that there's a there's other reasons why there's a number of people who've come from Ontario are now around Paul Diever. It may be that they're feeling less comfortable or less heard uh, around uh, Doug Ford's uh, group. But at the end of the day, I mean, the federal Conservative Party is looking to win, and to win, they have to win in Ontario, and and that means 
that the activist base uh, that may you know produce victory for them is probably a very similar one to the one that's uh, produced victories for Doug Ford. So at the level of leadership, there's maybe not a lot of current that's passing between Doug Ford and Pierre Polyevre, but the level of the parties, uh, you know, they're they're pretty similar machines. Is this something that Marit Stiles, the leader of the NDP, and Bonnie Crombie, the Liberal leader, and, and even Mike Schreiner, the Ontario Green Party, is this something that they jump on to say, look, like people in the Ford government are leaving, it's time for a change. They clearly see it. Yeah, I mean, I think you'd always expect opposition parties to claim, oh, look, the rats are leaving the sinking ship and so on. I mean, that's a, it's an age-old uh, an age-old claim. Um you know, it's. Uh, I think the bigger issue probably for a Ford government is that, uh, you know, there's limits to the amount of talent you have in a caucus, uh, you know, no matter the party. And when you begin to have uh, now four ministers leave, uh, you begin to get, and, you know, and others may be deciding, well, we're not going to run next time. The, the talent and the energy beneath the leader that's really important for ensuring that government policies get rolled out, uh, that they get properly communicated and so forth, it isn't there. And so... That's probably the bigger difficulty in, in, in getting reelected uh, for someone like Ford. It's less kind of a sign that everything's falling apart, but it, it's harder to have the competence needed uh, to continue to be successful. As always, great analysis from Peter Grave. Peter, thank you for your time this morning. You're welcome. Peter Grafe is a professor of political science at McMaster University. And it is an interesting scenario when you have one MPP saying, you know what, I, I think Polyev's got what it takes. It looks like there's going to be a... Uh, a, a sea of change federally. Let's let's jump ship now. There might be more conservative MPPs here in Ontario and perhaps even other provinces looking to do the same. It'll be something to keep an eye on for sure. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. There's a new report from Deloitte Canada, and it is providing recommendations from Indigenous youth on how to advance reconciliation through wellness support systems. It's called the Breaking Colonial Legacies and Mapping New Pathways to Mental Wellness. Here to talk about it is Dr. Lana Potts, National Indigenous Health Lead with Deloitte Canada. Dr. Potts, good morning. How are you? Hi, good morning. Thank you for having me. This report highlights the need for better mental wellness responses to First Nations, to Inuit, to Métis people. What is lacking right now? So our current state of health really exists as not as not equitable as non-Indigenous um, populations. So there's a high need for increased access, increased understanding that our traditional ways of knowing will keep us well and being able to, to bridge those supports for our youth and our people to create a healthier future. So we know what is lacking. What and how does this happen? What are some of the recommendations that uh, you are making? So we're really looking at kind of going backwards in a way when you think about how do we move forward is by looking at what kept us well. Um, so recognizing that um, youth have talked about identity, talked about their heritage, talked about where they want to move forward. And so by investing in processes such as land-based healing programs, just having basic access to healthcare and mental health care um, is really a simple ask, but it can actually change the future of, of our current health state. So how do we get there? The whole goal really is through investment. I think it's through education. It's empowering and collaborating with different systems, with understanding how our current system exists, how we move forward to um, bring 
um, different organizations in through education of um, allies to bring people in to talk about our realities and then creating a collaboration about listening. And this is what this report does. It allows us to listen to the youth. It allows us to be able to take their voice and move forward with what they're asking for us to do, which is empower them to bring their their language and their education to the forefront. I can certainly imagine that. You know, as a non-Indigenous person myself, I was quite um, shocked, scarred, if you will, by the stories about residential schools. I can only imagine those in the Indigenous community and how they are dealing with this. That must be quite scarring. And, and, and without these supports out there, it must be incredibly difficult to, to advance reconciliation. No, that's exactly right. And there's a statement, I do a lot of teaching on this, and it's really that what's really our reality is that we come from a premise where there was a statement made, you know, hundreds, about 100 years ago about kill the Indian and the child. And the youth are really growing out of that and to really make that statement not true, to bring back their Indigenous ways of knowing and to be able to bring forward a healing from the traumas that we have endured as Indigenous people from residential school, from 60s scoop, and how that has impacted us. What is really empowering within this report is some real truths, truths around what they need around their spiritual wellness, around asking for uh, mentorship, around bridging supports of physical wellness. They, We know what we need, and I think it's time that we start to listen to their voices. You, you mentioned mentorship. How important is this in, uh, you know, listening to Indigenous youth right now and getting them on a path to better mental wellness? Mentorship is really the foundation of our, of our communities and our culture. We've always had ways to bridge elders and people of different um, generations to come together. And mentorship can be a real way of setting an example, of allowing us to see who we can be, allowing us to bridge, bring different resources, and bringing those people at the table to support where supports do not exist. So mentorship can really be a, a key, a key um, um, in terms of um, solution and helping with mental health. Uh, for example, just showing, you know, healthy ways of living, modeling different ways. We have that, but sometimes it's, we just need those supports brought into our community. Dr. Lana Potts is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Dr. Potts is the National Indigenous Health Lead at Deloitte Canada with a new report that's providing recommendations from Indigenous youth on how to advance reconciliation through wellness support systems. And I found out, you know, reading through the report that there is a serious lack of connectivity and that plays a big part in this. Absolutely. And I think this goes back to the connection of um, for many generations, we weren't allowed to be who we were. Our language was limited. Our, our ceremonies were actually banned for a number of years. So over the last 20 years, there's been a resurgence of people finding out who they are and where they come from and being able to be proud of saying that they're, you know, in my language, I call myself Nitsitipi. To be able to say that is something I didn't even say 10 years ago. So we're seeing this and we need to instill that pride and we need to instill this example that this is normal, that it is normal for people to be who they are. There's strong evidence to show once people have identity, it actually is protective against suicide, it's protective against depression and has, um, you know, lasting impacts that actually can improve um, in terms of outcomes overall. Dr. Potts, I'm glad we had this conversation this morning and hopefully in a, in a small way it does indeed advance reconciliation. Thanks for the time today. 
Yes, thank you for having me. Dr. Lana Potts, National Indigenous Health Lead at Deloitte Canada. Sadly, in 2021, this is about three years ago, the latest statistics show that only 43% of First Nations reserves in Canada had minimum broadband speeds compared with 91% of homes across Canada. And you think, if you're a youth, Indigenous or otherwise, you want to hop online to find out what's happening or, or maybe seeking out some help. And the online world is certainly a friend in that regard. Not so much, though, according to that statistic. Very sad. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Forge FC is getting ready to play CD Guadalajara this coming Wednesday night. Kickoff is at 8 at Tim Hortons Field in what is the opening leg of their CONCACAF Champions Cup match. And here to talk about it is Bobby Smirniotis, head coach of Forge FC. Bobby, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. Doing well. Are the four-time CPL champions ready to kick off the CONCACAF Champions Cup? Yeah, definitely. You know, you always look forward to these uh, big matches. This will be uh, games number 19 and 20 on the continental stage for the Cup, so it's always exciting times. You recently signed a new attacker. Tell us about your uh, multi-year deal with uh, Nana Opunku Ampumba. Yeah, an exciting player, an exciting attacking uh, player. That's going to give us a lot of uh, energy along the uh, the wings of the field. Something that I think that uh, we wanted to add to the team in this off season, and looking forward to him. He's had a bright uh, past in uh, in his time in Belgium and Germany. We're looking forward to having him over here. Any other big changes to the twenty twenty four squad? Yeah, not as of yet. Uh, another one is uh, Eliman Cisse, who will be coming back. A player that was very important for us uh, in our first three years. Um, he'll be coming back from Senegal and I think he'll be a very important part to what we do going forward. And, uh, you know, we still have some uh, time to make some uh, very good additions uh, ahead of the season, which will start uh, or the regular season, which will start in April. You kicked off 2024 with a training camp at Redeemer University in Ancaster. Then you went down to Mexico to continue training. How beneficial was that trip to Mexico, knowing that you're going to go back there for leg two? Yeah, I think it's important. You know, it gives us an opportunity to, to train multiple times uh, in a day in a, in a great environment, very good weather, gets some good friendly matches against opponents who will be very similar in, in style of play uh, to Chivas and uh, also gave us an opportunity for two weeks to be at altitude, uh, which is something we'll face uh, when we get down there. Was that also invaluable when it came to team bonding? Like whenever you're on the road, it just you're forced to be with one another all the time. Was that a positive impact? Yeah, I think so. You know, it gives uh, the players an opportunity to spend a little bit more uh, more time with uh, with each other. It's uh, sometimes it's a it's a tough part of uh, the preseason. You know, you're training twice in a day. You know, there's a lot of lot of time in between, so it's good to catch up with uh, with all your teammates on on various issues, discussing uh, about the team and and just bringing everyone a little bit closer together. We're joined by Bobby Smirniotis, the head coach of Forge FC. They are getting set to play CD Guadalajara this coming Wednesday night at 8 p.m. at Tim Hortons Field in the opening leg of their CONCACAF Champions Cup match. For tickets, go online to forgefc.canpl.ca. Let's get your scouting report on CD Guadalajara. What, uh, what are they all about? Very good team. You know, first and foremost, uh, they're the most uh, supported team in, in Mexico. And when you talk about the, the game of soccer in Mexico, it's uh, it's everyone's watching it. Um, so they got a rich tradition. And then you look at their team uh, today, uh, and they've got a lot of excellent players, a lot of national team players for for Mexico. We've been able to watch them over their first uh, five matches. Um you know, it's just a, it's a very good squad from uh, in all positions. You know, we're going to need to be at our best on on Wednesday night, and uh, most importantly, we need this crowd behind us. Uh, you know, I'm hearing about the ticket sales going great. You know, the uh, the east side, lower east side's already filled up, and 
they've already opened up the uh, the uh, upper east uh, east end. Um, so the louder this place can be for us, I think uh, it will be as, just as important as what we do on on the pitch. You mentioned the altitude in Mexico, which is certainly a factor, but playing a soccer match in February in Hamilton is a different weather experience, I'm sure, that anyone on City Guadalajara has faced before. Talk about the hometown advantage that you have. Yeah, of course. It's the one thing I've talked about since the beginning of the draw, and everyone said, how are you going to play a game in February? And uh, I've always said, the colder, the better. So if we can get the uh, the weather gods on our side, uh, you know, to crank up uh, the frigid air a little bit more, get the wind coming in off uh, off the mountain, uh, we'll take all of that for Wednesday night. Well, it is going to be clear, and the low is supposed to be about zero, so that might work into your hands. Bobby, best of luck with this, and uh, we'll chat down the road. Thank you very much, Rick. Bobby Smirniotis, head coach for Jeff C. They are taking on CD Guadalajara this coming Wednesday night at 8 at Tim Hortons Field. Leg number one of two in their opening round of the CONCACAF Champions Cup match for tickets. And as you heard from Bobby, they're selling fast. Go online to forgefc.canpl.ca and good luck to the Hammers. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We are one week away from Super Bowl 58 in Vegas, and a big part of any Super Bowl party is, of course, the food. What snacks, what finger foods, what meal options are you considering to serve your family and friends this Sunday? Well, from Steel Town Chowdown, we have Mush on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHL. Mush is with Hamilton's Food Authority and joins us now on GMH. Mush, good morning. How are you? Morning. How are you? I'm okay. What is Steel Town Chowdown all about? Yeah, so it's uh, my uh, my best friend and I, Todd. We started a uh, Instagram account about six years ago, just uh, documenting all of our favorite uh, all of our favorite foods in Hamilton. We felt like uh, some of our our old standards, our favorites, were being underrepresented, and we wanted to just document our adventures as we uh, ate around the city. I'm on the uh, Instagram page as we speak, and the mouth is watering. This is going to be an interview that is going to be difficult to conduct because I'm getting hungry, Mush. Oh my gosh, these photos and reviews are amazing. Yeah, we uh, we're we're very fortunate to have so many great uh, restaurants in the city. We just uh, do our part in sharing them with everybody. Super Bowl must-haves. What must be at a Super Bowl party to make it a success? Listen, I think, you know, you can have your chips and your chili and your finger foods and all the things you just talked about, but I think you've got to start with pizza and wings. For me, if, I, if I'm if i hosting or if I'm showing up at a party, if there's not a base of pizza and wings, then I feel like uh, the host, unfortunately, hasn't done their job. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Those are absolute must-haves. Anything else I think is considered extra and going above and beyond and greatly appreciated, but without pizza and without wings, it's just not a Super Bowl party. Let me ask you this, though, before we get into some of your favorites, we're going to focus on pizza and wings today. Does veggies and dip have a place in a Super Bowl party? It's a hot topic. Well, I mean, listen, it's 2024. There's a lot of people with different uh, uh, food eating options of, uh, following different diets. So, you know, you want to be inclusive in, uh, in this day and age. So, you know, I've got no problem with uh, with veggies and dip, as long as you get yourself a, a solid blue cheese, you probably have to find yourself uh, driving across the border to get a really decent blue cheese, but uh, but I've got no problem with it. Okay, good call on that one. Good call on that one. All right, you have a cheat sheet guide for best pizza places and wing stops in Hamilton. Let's start with some of your picks for best pizza in Hamilton. 
Yeah, I mean, there's uh, as you can see on the page, there's uh, there's no shortage of good options. But uh, you know, I would probably start with Mr. Grande up on uh, up on Rymel there. Uh, they they've definitely got the biggest uh, takeout pizzas in town. You know, a lot of people say they they need to uh, think about what what choice of uh, car they uh, they use to go pick up the pizza because sometimes you can't actually fit it in there. But uh, yeah, they've got an excellent selection. If you uh, if you head to Mr. Grande, they actually awesome people there. They actually named a pizza after us. It's called the Steel Town Chow. It's actually a giant pizza, which, which is a quarter Big Mac, quarter taco, quarter pepperoni, and quarter shawarma. So that's uh, that's my pick if you head there. <laughs> and that's the one that's in the photograph? Yes, sir. Wow, that is pretty good. Uh, original pizza is also on that list. What, what do you like about original pizza? Yeah, so original pizza, again, great people, great uh, great old school pizza. They do a, uh, a giant pizza slice. So, you know, not only is it great pizza, but if you're looking to make a splash and, uh, and have something memorable about your Super Bowl party, they got a, uh, you know, a, a life size, I think it's an 18 inch uh, pepperoni or cheese uh, pizza slice. So, uh, certainly something that'll, uh, that'll fill the center of your table and, and have people talking as soon as they walk in the door. You can also follow along on the Steeltown Chowdown Instagram page and check out some of their other photos and ratings and suggestions as we talk about favorite must-have Super Bowl party foods and what comes to those that uh, have to be in place, pizza and wings, no doubt about it. Also on the list, Castelli Mercanto, uh, Tony G's, uh, Flora Pizzeria, and this one I did not expect to be on the list, but I'm glad to see it, My Pie Tiki Bar. What's, uh, what's up with their pizza? Yeah, I mean, when you're when you're talking about the best kind of overall pizza in town, you think about the you know the the dine-in experience as well. Uh, my pie is it, so it's it's a very uh, it's a very different pizza from everywhere else. I would have mentioned on the list, it's a Detroit-style pizza, uh, so it's a deep dish pizza, super thick. Um, so it's uh, you're going to have to buy a few of them for to feed uh, to feed the folks at your party. But uh, because it is super super thick, super dense. You know, a couple of slices, and uh, you might not be getting into the uh, the chili or the finger food at all. But <laughs> when you're talking about, uh, you know, if I if I were to name, you know, best overall pizza with no other questions, my pie is my pick in town. Wow. Okay. Let's go to. We got a minute to get to the best wings in town. There's several on the list. Uh, what are some of the uh, top ones in Hamilton? Yeah. Again, you know, we're fortunate. We've got a, a ton of great uh, takeout wing options in town, but. If I were to pick one to talk about, I'd probably talk about uh, Miss Lynn's. They're on uh, King near Cathedral High School. Uh, just just uh, excellent wings, big, crispy, great sauces, good value, uh, awesome sides. They do something called a, a mac pie that's like a, a dense macaroni that they cut into slices. It's got kind of a jerk spice on it, so something different than uh, than you can get in other in other places. And uh, you know, a black-owned business, and they do uh, they do a great job. So we love uh, we love supporting Miss Lynn's. Nice Miss Lynn's wings, also on the list. Uh, right wingers, uh, Polly's wings, Pizza Donaires, wings up, Red Rockets as part of the best wings in town. Uh, last question for you: Flats or drums when it comes to wings? Oh, I'm a, I'm a flat guy for sure. All right, we're going to have to fight on this one, uh, Mush. I'm a drums guy, but we'll we'll leave it there. We'll have to duke it out on Super Bowl Sunday. Appreciate the time. Enjoy the game and the food as well. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Much from Steeltown Chowdown, Hamilton's Food Authority. Check them out on Instagram. Steeltown Chowdown. And oof, the photos are absolutely mouth 
watering. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.